Mormonism Unveiled by John D. Lee, 1877. Read by Paul Martin, 2019. Copyright Paul Martin's Fine Films and Audiobooks. Chapter 22. The Trial of Lee Continued. While documentary evidence was being read, the people had been gathering in large numbers, so much that many were unable to obtain admission to the courtroom to hear the statements of the witnesses. It was by this time well understood by all parties that the command of secrecy which the church had imposed on its members had been countermanded so far as related to John D. Lee, the defendant on trial. It was then a certainty that the witnesses would swear to as much as the prosecution was willing to hear. The result proved that these surmises were correct. The witnesses for the prosecution were then called and sworn, after which they testified in the order and language as follows. Testimony of Witnesses Daniel H. Wells Sworn for the Prosecution Howard How long have you resided in this territory? Since the fall of 1848. Do you know John D. Lee? Yes, sir. Did you know him in 1857? Yes, sir. What position did he occupy at that time? Official position. I don't know of any position except it was farmer to the Indians in the southern part of the territory. He had been a major in the military. I don't remember whether he was at that time or not. At that particular time, I think not. I think he had been suspended. I wish to ask you the question, what, from your personal knowledge, was the influence of John D. Lee over the Indians to whom he had been appointed farmer, was he interpreter also? Well, I think he understood the language imperfectly, could probably converse with the Indians. State if he was a man of influence with the Indians, a man popular with them. He was so considered. Cross-examination waived. Swap. Laban Merrill, sworn for the prosecution. Where do you reside? Iron County, at what is called Fort Johnson. How long have you lived in the territory? Since 1852. Do you know the location of Mountain Meadows? No, sir, I never was there. Where did you live in 1857? I think I lived at Cedar City. How far is Cedar City from Beaver? About 30 miles. Did you, in 1857, know anything about an emigrant train known as the Arkansas Emigrant Train passing through the Territory to Southern California or starting to pass? By report only. Did you have anything to do as an officer or citizen at Cedar City with regard to the passage of those emigrants? If you did, state what you know about their passage in your own way. Merely by report, 
that there was a company come through Cedar City. I lived off at a place called Fort Johnson, six miles and a halt. I was engaged at the time, some little in seeing what was called the best locality or what would do the best good for some free or four little places, Cedar City, Fort Johnson and Shirts Creek. We had formed a kind of custom to come together about once a week to take into consideration what would be the best good for those free places. I happened on Sunday to come to Cedar City, as I usually came, and there seemed to be a council. We met together about four o'clock as a general thing. On Sunday evening after service, I went into the council and saw there was a little excitement. In regard to something I did not understand, I went in at a rather late hour. I inquired of the rest what was the matter. They said a company had passed along toward Mountain Meadows. There were many threats given concerning this company. Spicer, for defendant. We object to these conversations in which the witness has not shown that the defendant was present. Howard, for the people. We expect to connect with Mr Lee with it in this way. We propose to show that at that council a report was made that the Indians had stopped this train of emigrants and were about to stop them and we propose to show further that at the time, in consequence of the condition of the country, it was claimed by some people that they should be held until a message could be sent to Salt Lake and their passage secured, that Mr Muriel appeared there others being in favour of stopping the emigrants and perhaps doing more than that. Mr Morrill appeared there and insisted that no inference should be had with them until orders came from Brigham Young from headquarters and at first insisting that they should be allowed to pass unmolested, that the Indians should not be allowed to molest them if it could be avoided, that they should be prevented by all means from interfering with them. Mr Morrill made several speeches to that council in favour of the proposition, and that finally an agreement was made that the emigrants should not be interfered with and suspend all proceedings in regard to even stopping them until a message should come from Brigham Young. At that time, Brigham Young was not only the president of the church, but governor of the territory and Indian agent. We proposed to follow it up by showing that an agreement was made and a messenger sent post-haste to Salt Lake. We proposed to follow it up by showing that a messenger was sent to see that the Indians did not interfere with the emigrants. We proposed to follow it up by showing that John D. Lee received that word, that that was the agreement of the council and that he must not allow those immigrants to be interfered with, that he not only received that word but that he made the remark that he had something to say about it. The man who carried the message was told that he had better get out of the way himself or he would get hurt. There has been an effort made to show that others besides John D. Lee commenced this attack. We propose to show that this jury 
that the attack was made in defiance of the authorities, that they not only held the lives of those emigrants secure, were not only anxious that they should be allowed to pass, but that they should be protected from the Indians in order to show their sincerity and do what was right in view of the circumstances, made a solemn agreement there among themselves that the emigrants should be interfered with until a dispatch could be sent to Governor Young and returned. We propose to show that the dispatch was sent to Governor Young by that messenger with instructions not to spare horse flesh, but to ride there day and night, that before this messenger returned, John D. Lee, in defiance of that council, massacred the emigrants. Spicer. The gentleman proposed to prove that Lee did anything contrary to the orders of the church council. We will withdraw our objections. But we know the prosecution will fail ill the effect. Lee did nothing that was contrary to council, and the fact is he obeyed orders. Howard. Mr. Morrill, the court directs that you state what was done at that council. Answer. As I said, there appeared to be some confusion in that council. I inquired in a friendly way what was up. I was told that there was an emigrant train that passed along down to near Mountain Meadows and that they had made threats in regard to us as a people. Said they would destroy every damned Mormon. There was an army coming on the south and north, and it created some little excitement. I made two or three replies in a kind of debate of measures that were taken into consideration, discussing the object, what method we thought best to take in regard to protecting the lives of the citizens. My objections were not coincided with. At last we touched upon the topic like this. We should still keep quiet and a dispatch should be sent to Governor Young to know what would be the best course. The vote was unanimous. I considered it so. It seemed to be the understanding that on the coming morning or next day there should be a messenger dispatched. I took some pains to inquire and know if it would be sent in the morning. The papers were said to be out and Governor Young should be informed and no hostile course pursued till his return. I returned back to Fort Johnson, feeling that all was well. About eighty and four hours before the messenger returned, business called me to Jeddah City, and I learned there that the job had been done. That is, the destruction of the emigrants had taken place. I can't give any further evidence on the subject at present. What was the name of the messenger sent to Salt Lake? James Haslam. Cross-examined by W.W. Bishop. You think that about 48 hours before the messenger returned from Salt Lake, you learned that the job was done. The people killed at Mountain Meadows. Do you mean by that the killing that had been talked of at that council? I suppose it was, sir. 
Who was present at that council that you recollect? Mr. Smith, give me the name of any there that you can call to mind. I think Isaac C. Haight was there. Was John D. Lee present? No, sir, not to my knowledge. Did you see that messenger start to Brigham Young? I did not. Did you see the message that he took to Brigham Young? I did not. Did you ever read it? I did not. Did you know or have any knowledge that any written communication was given by the council to anyone to carry to President Young? The understanding of the council was that one should be written out for him prior to his starting. Do you know of your own knowledge that one was written out? I didn't see Mr Haight, but he should have made it out in time. I didn't see the paper. Then the understanding of the council, as I take it, was this, that different parties presented different plans for having the people follow the emigrants, that after all this argument it was agreed by the parties that there a messenger should go to Brigham Young for instructions as to how the people should treat the emigrants in that train and nothing should be done with those emigrants until that messenger returned. That was the agreement. I understood it so. Who else did they agree to send a messenger to? I heard of no other but Governor Young. That was my proposition. Then you never heard of a messenger being sent to any other place or to any other party from that council? No, I did not pay any attention to any other point or what was considered, only the one point that a messenger should go to President Young. Redirect by Howard. Did you understand that a messenger was to be sent to John D. Lee? I did, but I did not see him start. I understood that at the same time a messenger was to be sent. What did you understand? I understood that there was to be word sent down towards Pinto Creek. For what purpose? To have the thing stayed according to contract to agreement made. What do you mean by the thing being stayed? Was the massacre of that emigrant train discussed there at all? It was, sir, and some were in favour of it, and some were not. Who were they? Bishop Smith, I considered, was the hardest man I had to contend with. Who else spoke about it? Isaac Kate, and one or two others. I recollect my companions more than anyone else. They were very anxious and rabid, were they not? They seemed to think it would be best to kill the emigrants. Some of the emigrants swore that they had killed old Joseph Smith. There was quite a little excitement there. You have given us the names of two who were in favour of killing those emigrants. Who were the others? Those were my companions, Isaac C. Haight and Klingen Smith. I recollect no others. You remember that council and the agreement that they would not do anything until word came back from President Young? Yes, sir. Although you didn't see either of those messengers start, you understood messengers were sent each way? Yes, sir, 
to stay the opposition until that messenger returned. Recross examination. You say you understood a messenger was to be sent to Pinto Creek. Did John D. Lee live at Pinto Creek? He lived at Harmony. Was it mentioned in that council that a messenger was to be sent to Pinto Creek to stay there until the other messenger got back? Understand me, there was nothing said in that council in regard to Pinto, only that the Finn should be stayed. They took such measures to stay it as they thought proper. After the messenger, Mr Haslam, returned, I asked Mr Haight about it, and he said he had sent word to let them pass, of course. That was the end of my experience in regard to it. Howard. Where did John D. Lee live at that time? He lived at Harmony. How far is Harmony from Pinto Creek? I don't know. What was his position at that time? He was a man of some influence among the Indians and also held a position in the military. Was he not Indian farmer? I think he'd done something towards it. One thing I passed over at the council, I inquired by what authority they were doing it, and they said by their own authority. Says I, has Dame got a letter here? Is there anything from Mr Dame of Parawan? They said no. I demanded a written letter or order from him before I would act. They said they had none. James Hallam testified that he went as a messenger from Haight to Brigham Young and that Brigham Young sent back word that those men must be protected and allowed to go in peace. He got back with the message Sunday after the massacre and reported to Haight, who said, It is too late. Joel White Sworn for the prosecution Where did you live in 1857? I lived in Cedar City, Iron County. Do you remember the Mountain Meadows Band of Emigrants? Yes, sir. Did you at that time know John D. Lee? Yes, sir. And Klingon Smith? Yes, sir. Were you ever entrusted by anybody with a message to John D. Lee or to any other person? No, sir, not to John D. Lee during the delivery of which you met John D. Lee? Yes, sir. I was away from home at the time the emigrants passed through Cedar City. I came home just before night. I can't recollect the day or date, nor anything of that kind. But Mr Haight called me as I was passing and said he wanted a message taken to Pinto Creek and wanted to know if I would go. I asked if it had to go tonight. He said it had, that the emigrants would pass Pinto tomorrow. He told me the nature of the dispatch. It was to the man in charge there at Pinto to pacify the Indians, if possible, and let the emigrants pass. Klingon Smith was standing by and volunteered to go with me, and I accepted his company. Did you start with that message? Yes, sir. Tell what occurred. When I got down to the lower corner of the field, after we'd started, probably a mile and a half or such matter, I don't recollect the distance now, I met John D. Lee. It was about dark. He was coming towards Cedar. He asked us, what the calculation of the people was in regard to those emigrants, in regard to letting them pass. 
Did he ask you where you were going? I don't recollect. I told him. We both told him. But I told him in particular the conclusion was to let them pass and that I was going to Pinto with a letter to that effect. To have the Indians pacified as much as possible. To let them pass. Mr Leo spoke up and said, I don't know about that. Or... I have something to do about that. I don't exactly recollect the words. And drove on. Where were the emigrants at that time? They were camped on a little stream in the mountains between Cedar City and Pluto, just off the road. We saw them indistinctly as we passed them in the night, but as we came back next day, we met them on the travel. What place was that? Iron Springs, a very little spring. I hardly remember the locality. The emigrants hadn't yet reached Pinto? No, sir, because we met them. The first time I'd ever seen them, I saw them coming up along there, cross-examined. In which direction was Lee coming? He was coming up the road towards Cedar City. What day was it? I don't recollect neither the day of the week nor the month. You say it was about dark. It was about dusk then. How long was it before the massacre? I could not say about that for certain. About how many days? Probably four or five, maybe six, maybe not so long. I could not say. You passed the emigrants then on your way that night. We passed but didn't see them. Who was the man that you were carrying the message to? It was the man in charge of them, there in Pinto Creek, at that time. I can't recollect his name. Was not his name Richard Robinson? That is my impression, but I will not be sure, as there were several changes. There was Rufus Allen, Richard Robinson, Thornton, and different one that had charge along about that time. I can't recollect, but I think it was Richard Robinson. When did you move to Cedar City? I moved in the fall of 1853. How long did you live there? I lived there in the summer of 58. I left there and came to Beaver. From there, went north. Where did you, do you reside now? I live at what is called Cedar Fort, Cedar Valley, in Utah County, five miles from Camp Floyd. You say you passed by near the emigrants' camp, but did that, didn't you see them? Yes, sir, we saw them next day on the travel. You afterwards saw those emigrants, I believe, at the meadows? Yes, sir, a portion of them. You were present at the meadows at the time of the massacre? Yes, sir redirect. You don't remember the day nor the date, but on your way back after delivering the message, you met these same emigrants, and you know they were the Mountain Meadows emigrants. Yes, sir. Re-cross-examined. You know they were the same ones from passing them, and afterwards seeing them at the meadows after they were killed. Smith was with me, and he had seen the emigrants when they had passed from Cedar City. And there were some of the principal ones that he pointed out to me as we passed by them.
why did he point them out to you? One man that had made these threats that he had helped kill Joe Smith and so forth. Did you see that the same party at the Meadows afterwards? I don't recollect the same party. I saw the same band of emigrants. I suppose at any rate, no others had passed. Samuel Knight, sworn for the prosecution. Where do you live? I live at Santa Clara. How long have you lived there? In the neighbourhood of 22 years. Where did you live in 57? I lived at Santa Clara. That was my house. I lived on the mountain meadows. I was stopping on the mountain meadows that summer. Will you state how you came up to mountain meadows and how you were situated there? My family was sick at the time and I moved my family up on account of the hot weather. I was herding stock at the meadows and milking cows. Who was with you? Jake Hamblin and myself were proprietors. Describe that locality to the court and jury. The location is at the north end of what is termed Meadow Valley. How long is the Meadow Valley? Four miles long and about one mile wide. Is it entirely surrounded by mountains and hills? Yes, sir, it is entirely surrounded, except a gap at this end, the gap at which Hamblin's ranch was situated, and the gap at the other end leads you out on the desert. It has a stream that leads to the Santa Clara stream. On the 1st of September, 1857, you say you were stopping there with your wife, who was out of health. A few days before, she had been confined and was lying nearly at the point of death. We were living in a wagon box by the side of Jake Hamblin's board shanty. Did you, about that time, go down to your place at Santa Clara? Yes, sir, from Mountain Meadows. I went down a few days previous to this occurrence. This massacre to see to some business down there about watering the crop there. What time did you return? It is not in my memory, the day of the week. With reference to the general massacre... It was the evening after it had been done in the morning, that is, the first attack. I mean with reference to the general massacre of the women and children. That was nearly a week, I think. You are sure about that, are you? I don't exactly remember, but it was several days. What do you mean by the first attack, and from whom did you get your information? What information I got was from John D. Lee. State the particulars. As I said before, I was on my way to where I was staying at the time from my home at Santa Clara, from the ranch to Santa Clara settlement, was 35 miles. How far below the lower mountain of the Mountain Meadows? About 10 miles to where I met John D. Lee. I think he had on a hickory shirt, a straw hat and homespun pants. Did you have any conversation? Yes, sir. As I was riding along, he hailed me. Who was with you? I don't know that it is proper for me to state. Had you up to that time known anything about the attack on the emigrants? 
No, sir, I had not. Did you notice anything peculiar about John D. Lee at that time? He showed me some bullet holes in his clothing and maybe one or two in his hat. State the conversation. All the conversation? You can tell what you recollect. I think he told me that he had made an attack with the Indians and got repulsed. When did he say he had made it? I think that morning at daylight or near daylight. Do you know whether he told you so or not? I'm pretty positive he did. Did he tell you anything about any escape he had had? He said he had run a narrow escape showing me the holes in his hat and shirt where he had narrowly escaped being shot. State all the conversation. He rode along with us up to some eight or ten miles of where his camp was. When I saw him it was getting dusk and we rode along together as far as the camp. Was he alone when he met you? Yes, sir, as far as I know. Did he tell you whether any other white man had been with him in the attack? I'm not certain. I got the impression from what he told me that there was not. Did he tell you from whom he got the bullets through his clothes or not? I took it, of course. Did he say he got it on that assault on the emigrants? I can't give the exact language. What was the substance of what he told you about it? I collected from what he said that he had attacked the camp of the emigrants with the Indians and that in making the attack he received the shots from the camp that the bullets had come near to him, one through his shirt and another through his hat. Did he make anything about having a narrow escape? I think he did. What camp did he refer to? The camp of the Mountain Meadows emigrants. You say he came back to part of the way to the Mountain Meadows. I don't know, but what he went clear across the meadows, I am not positive. I know he rode back with me. He rode back to where the camp was at least, but whether he stopped there or not, I will not be positive. Did you see him go towards the Indian camp afterwards? I didn't know whether the Indian camp was. It was in the night. He came to me about dusk. It was eight or nine o'clock when we got to where the camp was located. I went right over to my home. State whether you noticed anything peculiar about Mr. Lee's person, aside from his dress. No, nothing more than what I have stated. State whether he had any paint on him. I didn't notice any. It was between sundown and daylight. It was nearly dusk when I first saw him. We hadn't talked but a few minutes when it was dark. How long a time passed until the general massacre? Some five or six days. Did you remain there with your wife during all that time? Yes, sir, with the exception of being out after my stock once or twice. Had you anything to do with Lee or see him after that time? 
he was over at Hamblin's ranch a few times. What was he there for? I don't know. Did he come alone? He was there with other men, but how he came, I don't know. Did he, at any time, come to you to get your teams? Yes, sir. What day was that with reference to the massacre of the men, women and children? It was the day it was done. What time? I think it was a little before 12 o'clock, the middle of the day. Who came with him? I think it was Klingensmith. Where were you and what were you doing? I was at home, waiting upon my sick wife, who was there in the wagon and doing chores necessary to be done about home. State the conversation that took place between you and Lee, or you and Klingensmith, in the presence of Lee, about what they came for. They told me they came to get my team and wagon to go over and haul away the sick and wounded from the train and take them back to the settlements where they could care for them, as wagons were scarce. I didn't consent at first. I told them that I didn't want to go, that my family needed my presence at home. They insisted that I should go and said that duty called me to go. I said if the team went, I should go myself with it. My team was a young team and had just been broke a few days and the horses were fractious. From that point, what was done? Well, I went over, I hitched up my team and went over, went with a common lumber wagon and box on it. Did you leave your wife there? Yes, sir. Where did you go? I went right on to the mountain meadows, right on to the south end of the mountain meadows or near there. I drove up to the camp of Indians and men camped somewhere to the left of the road, probably half a mile, maybe not so far, at a little spring to the left of the road and waited there a little while. I stopped some four or five rods from this camp and stood by my team until I was told to drive down towards the camp. Who told you? It is not in my memory. Did you drive down towards the camp? I did. What camp? The emigrant camp. Did any other conveyance go down at the same time? Yes, sir. Another wagon. I went behind it. Did you see Lee there? Yes, sir. Tell what he did from the first time you saw him that morning on that particular piece of ground. I don't know what he did all the time while I was waiting at the camp. I don't know that I saw him while I was there. How far was that from the emigrants? I think nearly half a mile. Did you see anybody go to that emigrant camp? No, sir. I saw a man carrying a white flag. Who was that man? I could not tell. Was anybody with him? Yes, sir. I think John D. Lee was with him, or near him, and walked down to the camp. What occurred there? They walked with this white flag near the camp, and another man met them with a white rag on a stick. He came from the emigrant camp, and they met some distance from the camp and held a consultation for a few minutes, and then we were told to drive along, or motion to. 
did any other man besides this man and John D. Lee go? Not any distance. I don't remember that they did. Who held that consultation? I was not acquainted with them and was some distance from them, but I think it was John D. Lee, the man that carried the flag, and one or two who came from the emigrant camp. Who motioned for you to go along after the consultation? I can't tell, but the whole fraternity up there moved along with the wagons. When you got down to the camp, what occurred? My wagon was loaded with some guns, some bedding, and a few individuals. Who superintended that loading up? John D. Lee. What guns were loaded into your wagons? The guns from the emigrant camp. When the emigrants came out afterwards, were they armed or not? They were not. Not that I saw. What did they load into your wagon? Guns, bedding, and some clothing of different kinds, and several persons got in. I think three or four got in. What were those persons? As near as I can recollect, there were two men, one woman, and I think some children. State whether those men were wounded then, sick men or what. I think they were wounded, but I stood holding my team. State whether it was quite necessary for you to give all your attention to your team. I considered it so. Then what occurred? After they were loaded in, we were told to drive on towards home. By whom? I can't recollect. Did you drive along? We did. Did you know what was put into the other wagon? Mostly people. Were both those wagons loaded from the emigrant camp? Yes, sir. I started towards my home, north across the meadows, lengthwise of the meadows. It led to the north. After you started, how close did the other wagon follow? I followed it. It went ahead. What followed you? The men, women and children, coming along after we drove out a little ways. Did you understand from what you saw there that the emigrants vacated that camp and followed you? I did, sir. As you passed along, did you go with them or did you go faster? We travelled a little faster. How far in advance of them did you get? I think we got maybe a quarter of a mile. It might not have been that far, but quite a little distance. What order did those emigrants march in, whether single file, two abreast, or how? I could not give any testimony on that. I did not look back to see. Who accompanied you with your wagon? Who came along? I remember John D. Lee being along with the wagons. Ahead of the emigrants? Yes, sir. Did anything occur after you had got up to the point designated as perhaps a quarter of a mile ahead of those emigrants? The first thing I heard had occurred. I heard a gun fired. Where was that gun? I don't know the locality exactly. It was behind me. Was it near you or down where the emigrants were? It was below. How far behind you? 
I should judge nearly a quarter of a mile, the first gun I heard. What occurred then? I looked around and saw the Indians rising up from behind the brush and went to butchering those emigrants. Did you see anything of them? I didn't see anything of the emigrants. Did you see any of those emigrants in your wagon interfered with? No, sir. Not after I heard the first sound of the gun. I leaped from my wagon to see to my tr team. Did you see John D. Lee do anything to any of those emigrants? I saw John D. Lee raise something in the act of striking a person. I think it was a woman. I saw that person fall, but my attention was attracted at the same time to my team jumping and lunging. What became of that woman? I could not say. Will you state to the jury the manner of that striking? Well, as near as I can recollect it, it was done as though he had a club or gun in his hands. But which of the two I cannot tell. She was falling when I first saw her. When I turned my eyes away, she was falling. You know he struck that woman? Yes, sir. Either with a gun or with a club? Yes, sir. Your team, you say, became very fractious. Is that all you saw John D. Lee do? That is all I could be positive about. What was he doing beside that? I could not be positive what he was doing all the time. State whether all of those people were killed there and then. They were. Those in the wagon were all killed. Was it in your wagon or the one behind you that John D. Lee struck that woman? It was in the one ahead of me. Was that woman killed? I think she was. They were all killed. How many cattle had this emigrant train? I don't know, sir. Should judge three or four hundred head? Did you know who drove these cattle away from that ground? No, sir, I do not. Do you know whose men drove them off? No, sir, only by report, by rumour. Did you see Lee drive any of them? No, sir, I did not. Did you hear him say anything about it? I did not. Did Lee remain there until all the wagons were killed? I think he did. Where did you go then? I drove immediately home. Which way did Lee go? I don't know. He was on the ground when I left. Did you know the names of any of those parties who were killed there? No, sir, I do not. Cross-examined. How many people were present around the wagons when you say you saw Lee strike the woman? I don't know how many. Were there any others there except Lee and yourself? I have an impression that there were, but I don't know who they were. I have always had an idea that there were one or two more men. Don't you know, as a matter of fact, that there were? Yes, sir, there was another man that drove the other wagon, but how many more I don't know. 
You don't know the names of the men? Not that I recollect of. Were any Indians around there? Yes, sir. Any around the wagons? Yes, sir. Did you see them take any part in the killing? Yes, sir. They took some part in the killing. There were not more than one or two men there, John D. Lee and the men that drove the wagon. How many Indians? I can't tell. Isn't it a matter of fact that about that time you wanted to get away from there and to see as little as possible? I paid just as little attention as I possibly could. Didn't you make an effort to see as little of it as you could? I did, sir. That explains why you did not see all of it. Yea, sir, I took all the pains I could to see as little as I could. Did not the Indians raise a yell and make a rush for the wagon before you jumped out? Yes, sir, or about that time. Were they not surrounding the wagons at the time you saw Lee strike? Yes, sir. There were Indians all around and close to you at that time? Yes, sir, there were Indians all round, quite a number, all round there. Did they rush towards the people in the wagons with hostile intentions? Yes, sir, with apparently hostile intentions. You saw them kill a number of people. Didn't they kill that woman? It was my impression that John D. Lee killed her. Do you know? Yes, sir, I do. That much you did see. Yes, sir, I did. Who was that man with you at the Meadows the first time you saw John D. Lee, the night after the first attack? I declined to tell. Redirect. State where those cattle of the emigrants were at the time of the massacre. They were north a little, up this way. How soon after that were they driven away? I think next day. Do you know whose men drove them away? I do not. Were the emigrants' wagons destroyed there on the ground or were they taken away? I don't know. They passed along. Was the field cleared of the emigrant property? Yes, sir. Cattle and everything. Were any wagons burned or destroyed? No, sir. Not that I know of. How long did you stay there after that? Nearly a month. Samuel McMurdy. Sworn for the prosecution. Where do you live now? I live in Cache County, Paradise. Did you live in any other place than Paradise in 1857? I lived at Cedar City. I don't recollect dates. Did you live there at the time of the Mountain Meadows Massacre? Yes, sir. State whether you were called upon to go to Mountain Meadows. I was called upon to go and take my team and wagon. By whom? I believe it was John M. Higby that called me. State from that point the circumstances. I was threshing my grain. I had my grain spread out in the yard and was tramping it with horses at the time I was called upon. I was notified to leave in two hours' notice. It was some time in the afternoon... 
that I was called upon. Of what day? I could not state. With reference to the date of the general massacre, I think it was a day prior to it. Was it stated to you for what purpose you were to go there? No, sir. Did you know? No, sir. Did you go? Yes, sir. Who went with you? There were a number that went in the wagon with me. Some I can recollect. Kling and Smith for one, man by the name of Hopkins, and two or three more besides that went during that time, and I went down. I understood from the men that were in the wagon. I asked them what was the matter. They told me that the emigrants had been attacked, and we had to go down and arrest the attack, if possible. That was the purpose that I expected to go for, was to preserve the emigrants from the Indians. What time did you get there? It was in the afternoon when we started late. It must have been way in the night when we got there. I could not tell you the time. We travelled a good many hours in the night, got there and turned out the horses and camped. Did you stay until morning? Yes, sir. Stayed there till morning, and during the next day I got up my horses. Anybody give you orders? Yes, sir. Who? John D. Lee. He told me to take the wagon and follow him to camp. What camp? The camp of the emigrants. The emigrants that were afterwards killed? Yes, sir. Did you go? I did. State what you saw. I went with him to camp, and there was another wagon, if I recollect right. The man that drove the wagon was a stranger to me. I never saw him before. When we got within a short distance of the camp, there was a man with a flag of truce sent out. Who was that man? His name was Bateman. Where is he? Dead. Where was he sent from? Sent from where we stood with the wagons. Who went with him? John D. Lee. Followed immediately afterwards. What occurred? A man came out from the camp and had an interview with John D. Lee. What was the substance of that conversation? I was too far off to tell. I saw Lee and this man talking. Did you hear any of the talking? Not anything I could distinguish. After they talked, what was done? After they talked, they seemed to come to an understanding 10, 15 or 20 minutes. Then Lee ordered us to drive up the wagons. We drove up the wagons. The emigrants, assisted by Lee, loaded the wagons. My wagon was loaded with some bedding, some truck of different kinds belonging to the people that got in. Some would have their things with them, as if they were going on a journey. A number got in, men, women and children, from the emigrant camp, some of them apparently wounded. I could not say how many. It is so long ago. I never charged my memory with it. I could not state how many there were. Go on. We were ordered to start out by John D. Lee, and we started out from that place. State whether the other wagon was loaded also. It was. Were there any guns put 
into either wagon. They were not in mine. Did you at any time leave your team? No, sir. When John D. Lee directed you to drive, what took place? We proceeded some distance on the meadows. Mine was the head team. Who accompanied you? John D. Lee was walking behind the wagon, between the two wagons. By the court. Were there any persons in those two wagons? Yes, sir. They were loaded up with persons and things. Were both of those wagons loaded with men, women and children from the camp of emigrants? Yes, sir, and other things besides. How many got into your wagon? I could not say it was impossible for me to tell. I should think half a dozen. What were they? Men and women? Any children in yours? I think there were some small children. And as you started on, you saw Lee take a position between the two wagons and walk on behind you. Yes, sir. How far behind you? I could not tell you. I had as much as I could do to attend to my team. We must have been quite a little distance ahead of the other team. My team was a very fast-walking team. Lee checked me up several times. I had to hold on to the lines. Did he give you any reasons for it? No, sir. I outwalked him. We walked very fast. How many times did he tell you not to walk so fast? Several times. By Howard. What occurred from that point? He called to me to halt after we got out of sight of the camp. Who did? John D. Lee. When we got out of sight over the hill, there is where we passed out of sight of everything. There is a rising ground there. We were this side of it, and everything back towards the emigrants was out of sight. When we got to this place, Lee ordered me to halt. At that instant, I heard the sound of a gun. I turned and looked over my shoulder, and Lee had his gun to his shoulder. And when the gun had exploded, I saw, I think, it was a woman fall backwards. I had to tend to my team at the time. Who discharged that gun? John D. Lee must have discharged it. Did he hold it in his hand? Yes, sir. He must have hit her in the back of the head. She fell immediately. Go on. I turned round. It seemed to me like I heard sounds of striking with a heavy instrument like a gun would make but I never saw any striking done. But I turned round to the other side a few minutes afterwards and saw Lee draw his pistol and shoot from two to three in the head of those who were in the wagon. Did he kill them? He must have killed them. What were those he shot? Men, women or children? Men and women. And they fell off underneath the wagon then and there? I could not say then and there. They must have been all killed. Did you go back at all? No, sir. Never wanted to go back? No, sir, never. Who fired the first gun? 
which was the first gun fired. It would be impossible for me to tell. The first gun I heard was the first gun fired right at the back of me that attracted my attention. You looked around and saw the gun in Lee's hands. Yes, sir. That was the first gun I heard. Were there immediately volleys of firing? Yes, sir, I heard firing immediately afterwards. Was that the signal to begin firing? Yes, sir, that was the beginning. How long after Lee told you to halt was that firing? It was instantly done. And you looked around and saw the gun? Yes, sir. Cross-examined. You say that you got your orders from Higby to go down there. I believe it was from Higby, but I'm not sure. I'm almost positive it was from him. Did Higby go with you? I don't recollect. Where did you camp that night? On the meadows. How many men were there? I could not say. About how many men were there? I could not give it because I went in the dark and had my team to hunt next morning. I turned them out and it took up all my attention. Next morning, how many men did you see there? I don't recollect anything about it. You did not see anybody there except yourself and John D. Lee. And the man that carried the flag, did you? I saw a good many there, but they were strangers to me. You can't tell me about how many were there. I might, if I'd counted them and impressed my memory with it. Do you think there is anything you saw during the time you were absent from home but what is burned into your memory so that it is impossible for you to forget it? Yes, sir, a number of things. One of the principal things that you cannot recollect is the names of your friends who were there. I don't know that I had any friends there any more than I have here. Can you give me the names of any of the men that you saw there that day? Well, sir, I could not really recollect. I suppose not. I might if I was to sit down and think for a while. A little thing like that you would not recollect. Will you please tell me the name of the parties that were present on the ground at the time you started to drive down to the emigrant camp? It is impossible for me to do it. How many men were in sight at the time you started to drive down? Of your friends, parties from Cedar City or elsewhere? Well, sir, I could not say. I don't recollect seeing any of them. It was too much... I was too much absorbed in my team and in my own surroundings. What caused you to be so much absorbed? Any man that had a team to attend to under circumstances of firing guns. Were any guns firing then? Not then. You did not get roused up until after they had loaded your wagon? Had anything happened to excite you previous to the loading up of your wagon at the emigrant camp? I'm not aware of anything particularly. You had not even heard that anyone was to be killed? No, sir. 
You thought you were on an errand of mercy? Yes, sir. You thought you had gone there in good faith to help those emigrants back to Cedar City? Yes, sir, that was my understanding. You had driven down across the valley to the emigrant camp and the only men you saw during that entire time were John D. Lee and this man that carried the flag. I saw a lot of emigrants around there. I am speaking now of the people who lived in that vicinity, outside of the men that lived at Cedar City. They were strangers to me, and I could not tell who they were. You saw them the night before? No, sir, I did not. Didn't you see them on the ground before you started to drive down to the emigrant camp? I could not say that I did. I don't recollect of seeing any quantity of men where I was at all. You didn't see any Indians that morning? No, sir. No Indians at the time of the killing? I could not say about that. I believe there were Indians around. Well, do you know? I don't recollect. You do not recollect to have seen any Indians? Yes, sir. I saw Indians around there, but at the precise moment of time I could not say. Did you see more than one or two Indians? I saw a great many Indians there after the firing commenced. Where did those Indians come from? I don't know. What were they doing? I could not tell. Did you see them commit any acts of hostility? I don't recollect. I don't doubt, but they did, but I can't recollect of their doing anything of the kind. You pretend to say now that at the time the gun was fired and from that time on your excitement and fear were so great that you can't recollect all that did happen. Yes, sir, that's about truth. How far did you haul those people after they were killed? Left them right there. Who took them out? John D. Lee. Don't you think he killed a dozen? I could not tell. Give us your best impression. My impression is that there might be half a dozen. You did not help kill anyone? Did you kill anyone there? I had nothing to do with it at all. Then you did not raise your hand against anyone at that time, or do any of the killing of the emigrants? I believe I am not upon trial, sir. I asked if you refused to answer the question. No answer. Did you, upon that occasion, on the day when the Mountain Meadows massacre took place, kill any person upon that ground or assist in the killing of any person? I don't wish to answer. You say every person that was in the wagons was killed? To my best recollection and knowledge, don't you know as a matter of fact that there were some 17 children in those wagons that were not killed? I don't recollect the number. Don't you know there were a number of children that were not killed? Yes, sir. Explain what you mean. I mean all of the grown persons were killed. 
The children were saved, sir. I believe I assisted to haul them away to take them off. Redirect. How many children were saved from the massacre? I have no recollection. Where did you take them to? Those that you had. They were distributed around. One went to one house and another to another. Nephi Johnson, sworn for the prosecution. Where did you live in 1857? I lived at a place called Fort Johnson, Iron County. What was your business? I was living with my father, a farmer. Were you an Indian interpreter? Yes, sir. I could talk some with the Indians at that time. Were you at the Mountain Meadows Massacre? Yes, sir. How old were you at the time? I was in my 19th year. Did you kill anybody or help to kill anybody there? No, sir, I did not. Tell this court and jury all you know about that. I was called on Thursday of the week. They were killed. They were killed the next day. Where were you? I was on my father's farm, finishing up my harvesting. What occurred? There was a young man by the name of Clues. His name has been mentioned here. I am not certain about its being Clues. It may have been young Klingensmith came down with a note from Isaac C. Haight that I was wanted in Cedar City. I went to Cedar City and he told me some men were going out to the mountain meadows and that I must accompany them and I did so. What did he tell you they were going there for? He didn't tell me. I understood they were going out to bring in the dead, slain by the Indians. Would you have gone if you had had any other understanding? No, not if I could have helped it. Did you go there? Yes, sir. What time did you get there? I should judge between 12 and 1 o'clock in the night. I got to Hamblin's ranch at that time. Who did you see there? I saw John D. Lee and Klingensmith and a man by the name of Weston. I did not see those men until morning. Was Hamblin at home? No, sir, he was not. Did you learn that he had gone anywhere? Yes, sir. Did you have any conversation with Lee about his having been in a fight with the emigrants? No, sir. I didn't have any conversation with him in relation to it. Did you hear him say anything about it? Yes, sir. What did you hear him say? In speaking to the Indians, he referred to having been in a fight with the emigrants. What did he say? He said that the Indians and himself had made an attack on the emigrants and been repulsed. What else did he say? Did he say anything about running any narrow risks? No, sir, he did not. Did he show any place where his clothing was shot? There was a bullet hole which I 
noticed in his shirt, which the Indians told me was received down at the camp in that attack. Anything about his hat? I didn't notice anything about his hat. Did you notice anything about paint on him? After mature reflection, I don't think I did. I have the impression that I noticed something of that kind around his hair. Did he say when the attack was made? He told me those were a few Indians he was telling. There were three Indians there that had been wounded and I was conversing with them after I got in in the night. Were you acquainted with the Indians, the Parvant Indians? Yes, sir, somewhat acquainted. Were you acquainted with the Indians below? Yes, sir. What was Lee's position at that time with the Indians? Well, he used to farm for them, help them to farm. What was his influence over them? His influence was good. Were any of the Parvant Indians down there? I didn't see any. You are now at Hamblin's Ranch Friday morning. State what took place that day on the ground. I got on my horse in the morning. Why did you do it? John D. Lee told me, and Klingon Smith told me, to go with them down to the camp. The main Indian camp was down below the emigrant train, and I got on my horse and rode down with them in the morning. There were some men camped down on the meadows, down near the Indian camp. There, a few men there, and a few arrived while I was there. They were talking around. I didn't know what was said. A man went out near to the emigrant camp, and there was a white flag, a flag of truce on a stick, sent down to the emigrant camp. Who sent it down? It was John D. Lee had the management of the concern. If I understand it right, well, I will say that he did. Follow that flag of truce, what occurred? It went down to the emigrant camp, and two men came out and met him and returned back again, and John D. Lee and another man went down to meet with the two that came out of the camp. Did they talk? They spoke there a while. I could not hear what was said. Did they appear to be in conversation? Yes, sir. And finally they returned, and some wagons were sent for to go down to the camp and take out some clothing and guns, and some few wounded. Who directed those wagons to go? Well, sir, it was Klingon Smith or John D. Lee. They seemed to be engineering the thing. Did John D. Lee go down to the emigrant camp? Yes, sir. How many people were loaded into those wagons? And who were those people? I can't tell you. Just as they went down, I went where the men were. I had ridden down and tied my horse to the root of the hill. I got loose and I went for him. As the wagons went down to the emigrant camp, just as the wagons started away from the camp. How many wagons started from the camp. Two. What position did you occupy? I had not got back with my horse. Were you on the hill 
on a prominence. I was not over 300 yards from the people where the people were passing along, the emigrants following the wagons. How many wagons? Two. Were these people in those wagons? Yes, sir. Did you see Lee there? Yes, sir. What position did he occupy when you saw him? Following between the wagons. Which way were they going? North, towards Hamblin's ranch. Did you see the emigrants following the wagons out of them, out of their camp? Yes, sir. Were they armed or unarmed? Not armed. How far behind the wagons? The women and children along with the wagons, the men a little behind. Did you mean along the trail behind the wagons? Yes, sir. And the men behind all? Yes, sir. How many of them? I should judge about 25 or 30 men. How many women? Probably there were not so many women as men. You don't pretend to give the number? No, sir. How far from the wagons at the head of the column were the people that were walking? The wagons got a good deal ahead. Were the people marching in double or single file? I could not tell you. The women and children were following along promiscuously and some of the men. Were you where you could see the wagons plain and see Lee? Yes, sir. Were you armed? I had a pistol. Did you shoot it off at all? No, sir. Did you have anything to do in any way, shape or manner with that massacre? No, sir. Will you tell the jury what you saw done at those wagons and the order in which you saw it? When the wagons got up a piece ahead of the men, I heard a gun fired. Where was it? I think it was behind. I am not sure. It was behind the wagons. I turned round to look, and at that the Indians and whites made a rush, and there was a general firing. Where was that gun fired off? I think the gun fired was some distance behind the wagons. What took place then? The people were killed. Did you see any of them killed? Yes, sir. Did you see John D. Lee kill any of them? I saw him fire off, and I saw a woman fall as I looked down to the wagons. What wagon was it? I am not certain. I think it was the lead wagon. Tell what occurred. I saw his gun fired, heard the report of the gun, and saw it fired, and saw a person fall, and the gun was held in his hand. Did it kill her? I didn't go to see. The Indians rushed. What did you see him do next? I looked down below to the men that were below, and then when I looked back again, was the massacre going on then, down lower? Yes, sir. Indians, and all along the line, I saw John D. Lee and some Indians pulling some persons out of the wagons. What did you see him do to anybody else? I can't swear, but from the motions, I should say he cut a man's throat. Tell how he did it. I can't tell you, only I saw his arms moving around, 
pulling men out of the wagons. They went to the left of him. I was not near enough to see, but he seemed to hold on to him. Who pulled him out of the wagon? John D. Lee and an Indian. Did you see John D. Lee make any motions? I did. What were they? I thought at the time that he was cutting a man's throat, but then I was so far off. You were in plain sight? Yes, sir. Have you any doubt that is what he did there? No, sir. What else did you see him do? I didn't see him do anything else at the time. At any other time? No, sir. Did you see him do anything else towards killing those people? No, sir. How long a time did it occupy that massacre? Not over five minutes. Not over three minutes. How many people were killed, do you know? No, sir, I don't. Did you have any conversation with John D. Lee after that about it? I have had it different times, but I don't know that I can recollect the conversation that passed. Did you ever have a conversation with him in which he told you the particulars of the first attack? He told me once something in relation to it, but it is so long ago, it was only that he attacked them, that the attack was made just as daylight was appearing in the morning. He said he went with the Indians to make the attack. Did he give you any reasons for making the attack? No, sir. How many cattle were there belonging to that train? That I cannot tell you. There was quite a number, quite a lot of stock. How many wagons did those emigrants have? Thirteen, I counted. Do you know what was done with the cattle? Taken to Iron Springs. Who took them around there? I don't know who took them there. Some men took them there. Do you know of Lee having and using any of the wagons afterwards? I saw some of the wagons at Harmony several weeks afterwards. What did you say became of the cattle taken to Iron Springs? By whom? I understood by John D. Lee's orders. Do you know what was done with the cattle? I saw some of the cattle afterwards on the Harmony Range close to Lee's residence. There under his charge? I suppose so. I am not definite about that. Do you know whether any of them were killed by Lee? No, sir. Never saw him kill any of them. He told me once that he had given the Indians several beeves, and the Indians told me he had. How long had you been acquainted with the Indians in southern Utah at the time of the massacre? I had been somewhat acquainted with them for five years. I came to Lyon County in the spring of 51 and resided there until 57. Were your relations with the Indians intimate? With some portions of them they were. Do you know at the date, the time of the massacre, what the relations were existing between the people of southern Utah and the Indians? Whether they were hostile or whether they were friendly, they were friendly. State whether they were in good subjection or not.
Bishop objected to the introduction of this testimony by the witness, first because the proper foundation had not been laid to show that this witness knew how far the Indians had been placed under subjection, second because the prosecution had introduced written evidence, documents written by Brigham Young and John D. Lee to show the exact condition of the Indians at the time, and before that, third, they seek to prove that the Indians were friendly to the people of Utah. That is irrelevant and immaterial here. From this fact that there is no question now before the court or jury as to whether the Indians of Utah were friendly with the citizens of Utah or not. It is not claimed by either the prosecution or the defence that the Indians had made any attack at that time, or that they afterwards made any attack on the citizens of Utah. The only question on trial is as to the fate of certain people, non-residents of Utah, and the fact as to whether this defendant was connected with their taking off or not. After argument, the question was withdrawn. What was the influence of John D. Lee over the Indians of southern Utah, those that were there present at the massacre? Objected to until it is shown that this party knows what that influence was. Question withdrawn. Do you know the relations existing between John D. Lee and those Indians? The relations between John D. Lee and those Indians, a small portion of Indians that roved around in there, were good. But the Indians further south, I don't know. The Indians of Santa Clara and further on, I did not know. Had you any information before you were there from John D. Lee's Indians that he had control of, that he had promised to go there? I had information from Indians that went there. How long was that before you went? It was on Monday evening before the massacre on Friday. What was the information? Objected to. Question withdrawn. Cross-examined. How old were you at the time of the massacre? I was in my 20th year. Where were you at the time Mr. Haight ordered you to go to the Mountain Meadows? I was at Cedar City. What time in the day was that? It was some time in the afternoon of Thursday. The day before the massacre? Yes, sir. How many men went with you to Cedar City? Two went with me to Cedar City. Who were they? Klingon Smith's son, and I can't recollect who the other was, came down to tell me I was wanted there. A man by the name of Charles Hopkins and Charles Weston went with me to the meadows. I went on horseback and John Weston went with the wagons. There were no others went at that time. There were others before I understood. How many did you find there when you got there, citizens of Cedar City and the surrounding country? I can't tell you the number. How many? 10, 15 or 20? I should judge 10 or 15. 
It is not a fact that there were more than 25 or 30 men, white men, there that you saw on the ground. There might have been. Wasn't there that number? I could not tell you. Why can't you tell me? Because I didn't count them. I was not there long enough to ascertain the number of men that were there. Where did you go that night when you went on the ground? I went to Hamblin's ranch. Got there about 12 or 1 o'clock, not far from midnight, and lay down there till morning. What time did you get to the meadows next morning? It was some time in the forepart of the day. Did you go to the camp where the citizens were located? Yes, sir. About how many men did you find there? There were some in two places. I found some eight or ten at the place I went. Did you go to the other place? I didn't go there. Then how do you know men were there? I saw them. How far off? Some were in sight. Were they within half a mile of you? Yes, sir. Were there any Indians on the meadows after you got there? Yes, sir. Where were the Indians with reference to the white men? The Indians camped some distance from the whites. Were the Indians out of their camp and up at that of the whites? Several came up while I was there. Then after they came up to see you, they stayed there around where the white men were. Yes, sir. What men were at the camp where you stopped? Well, sir, I didn't stop at the camp. I stayed there a few minutes and talked to Mr. Bateman. Who did you see there? Mr. Bateman, Charles Hopkins and Smith, where I was talking. Where is Bateman? Dead. Where is Hopkins? I understand he is dead. Do you refer to the same Smith that was a witness at the last trial? He was the man that was the bishop at Cedar City. Where is Weston? I can't tell you. I don't know whether he is dead or alive. Did you see Isaac C. Haight? Not when I first went to the camp. You saw him around at the meadows? Yes, sir. I saw him at the meadows. Did you see a man by the name of Stuart? I don't recollect. Did you see Higby? Yes, sir. Wilden? I don't recollect. Did you see Old Man Young? Yes, sir. How many others did you see? I can't tell you. You stayed there a few minutes and then went to get your horse. Where was it you heard the conversation between John D. Lee and the Indians? It was at the camp of Hamblin's ranch. Give that entire conversation that passed between John D. Lee and the Indians. I can't. Start in and give from the first to the last of it as well as you can. I don't know as I can, sir. What language did John D. Lee talk in to the Indians? He had an Indian boy as interpreter. Who was that Indian interpreter? It was the Indian boy called Alma, I think, that he would talk with 
and then have the Indian interpret it to the Indians. Then he talked English and the boy interpreted to the Indians? I suppose so. You understood both languages. Do you remember whether the Indian interpreted and told the Indian what Lee said or not? I didn't hear him tell the boy anything about the attack. Didn't you testify that you had a talk with Lee and that you heard him talk with the Indians and say that he had attacked the emigrants? No, sir. I said the Indians told me so. Yes, sir, I did. Lee was talking when I went to the camp, and he did say so. Tell me whether he talked English or Indian. He talked English to me and told me so. Give me that conversation. He told me that they had attacked the camp on Monday night and been repulsed. What else? I can't be expected to remember all the conversation 20 years ago. I want all that you do know. Do you know any more about it? Can you recollect anything more that he said? Nothing that I recollect. Did he give you any reason for attacking the emigrants? No, sir. Did you find any fault with him for attacking them? Was anything said about whether it was right or wrong? No, sir, I was a boy. I didn't consider it my business to talk to my superior officers in regard to such things. How was that about Lee being your superior officer? I say I was a boy and didn't consider I had a right to talk to a man in his position in such matters. Did he have any control over you? No. What right had he to control your actions? No answer. What position did he hold that gave him the right to direct your movements? I was sent there. You have spoken of his being your superior officer. Tell me what position John D. Lee had that enabled him to control your actions. They called him Major Lee, and I was sent by Major Haight to go to the Mountain Meadows to Major Lee. That is the reason you considered that you had nothing to do with it? Yes, sir. Did Haight tell you what you were to do there? No, sir. He simply told you to go to the Mountain Meadows? Yes, sir. What do you mean by your evidence when you were asked by Mr Howard a question and you answered that you would not have gone to the meadows if you had known what was to be done. That is, not if I could help it. State whether you were under any compulsion. I didn't consider it was safe for me to object. Explain what you mean. That is what I want. Where was the danger... Who was the danger to come from if you objected from hate or those around him, from the Indians or from the emigrants, from the military officers? Where? At Cedar City. Was hate one of those military officers? Yes, sir. Who was the highest military officer in Cedar City at that time? I think it was Isaac C. Hate. 
You thought it would not be safe for you to refuse had you any reasons to fear danger, had any persons ever been injured for not obeying, or anything of that kind? I don't want to answer. It is necessary to the safety of the man I am defending, and I therefore insist upon an answer, had any person ever been injured for not obeying. Yes, sir, they had. And from what you had seen before that, you thought it was your duty under the circumstances to obey counsel or commands given you by hate. Yes, sir. Did hate hold any office except that of major in the military? He held the office of president of Cedar City. An ecclesiastical office. President of that stake of Zion, I believe you call it? Yes, sir. Tell me how old hate was then. I can't. A full-grown man, I presume? Yes, sir. After you... You had caught your horse. How far were you from the wagons at the time you heard the first firing? Well, I was not over 300 yards, and perhaps not more than 250. What was the nature of the ground? I was on higher ground. If you have ever been to the mountain meadows, it gradually descends down from the mountains to the meadows. You were on the upland Above the wagons? Yes, sir. Between you and those parties, were there any trees or shrubbery or anything of that kind? There were some to my left, kind of behind me. You were at the left of the column, to the right of the column. Then to your left, in between you and the wagons, there was nothing to obstruct your vision whatever. Not between me and the wagons. At that time, could you see down to the meadows to where the principal part of the emigrants were killed? I could see the head of the column of the emigrants. The lower part of the column was hid by the oak bush that is there. Did you see any Indians there at the time you heard this first shot or soon afterwards? Yes, sir, soon afterwards. You stopped your horse at the time you heard the first shot and paid particular attention to what was going on. Yes, sir. You continued there inactive until the whole thing was over. Yes, sir. You say you saw John D. Lee. Did you see Samuel McMurdy, one of the drivers there also? Yes, sir. What did he do? He was holding his horses all the time. I did not see him let go of them. Do you know whether he took part in the killing or not? No, sir, I don't. I can't say. What was Sam Knight doing? Sam Knight, when I looked around, was out on the ground holding his horses. How long did they stand there and hold their horses? Not long. The killing did not last over five minutes. What did they do when they let go of their horses? I saw the wagons going off. There was another white man there, along with the Indians. But who he was, I do not know. I can't tell. I never inquired to find out. It was none of your business? No, sir. And you just let the matter pass? 
but you did see John D. Lee killing emigrants, but you don't know who else killed any. No, sir. You have not tried to find out since, have you? No, sir, I have not. You have talked this over a great many times since I heard it talked over, I suppose? No, sir, but very little. You have had people ask you about the facts and circumstances frequently? Yes, sir, but it is something that I have avoided. Is this the first time since you arrived in Beaver City that you have talked this thing all over, except when talking to the attorneys for prosecution? No answer. From your silence, I see you wish to avoid talking to me too. You have never talked this over to anyone. No, sir. Until you came to Beaver. I might have done so. I can't recollect. How many of the military did you see drawn up in line there on the field of the mountain meadows about the time the wagons drove off? I can't tell you. Quite a number, were there not? Yes, sir. Who was commanding that military body drawn up in line there? I can't tell which it was, Klingon Smith or John M. Higby. They were both there? Yes, sir, I think so. Is it not the fact that these men were drawn up in military lines, standing there with arms in their hands within 200 yards of the emigrant camp? I can't tell you. Did you see them marching? I saw them marching, as I told you. When I got my horse and turned back, I saw them marching. I understood you to say that it was the emigrants that you saw marching after the wagons. Did you see the militia from Cedar City marching too at that same time? There were men coming all along altogether. I can't tell you whether they were militia or emigrants. All were marching along together. About what time did the emigrants come out of the camp? It was sometime in the afternoon, I think. How long had you been there at the Mountain Meadows before the massacre took place? Well, I went from Hamblin's Ranch in the morning. I hadn't been there a great while. Johnson. Where were you born? I was born in the state of Ohio. How old were you? When you arrived in Utah, I was some 12 years of age. Came, I suppose, with your parents to Utah Territory? Yes, sir. Resided in Utah ever since? Yes, sir. Reside now at Johnson's Fort, the same place you did at that time? No, sir. Where do you live now? Shall I answer that question? Yes, sir. I live at Canab. How long have you lived there? About four months. Where had you been living before that, since you lived at Fort Johnson? After the massacre, how long did you live at Fort Johnson? I moved into the Rio Virgin in the fall of 58. How long did you remain there? Well, I can count up in a minute. I lived there 10 or 12 years. Then where did you move to? I moved to the Sevier and from there to Kanab, where you live now? Yes, sir. You say you saw a lot of the wagons at Harmony afterward? I will not swear to but one. 
Did you ever see any of the wagons at any other place? Did you not see some of them at Cedar City? Yes, sir. Where were they in Cedar City? They were at Klingensmith's. How many did you see? Two. What position did Klingensmith occupy at that time? He was Bishop of Cedar City Ward. You spoke of seeing some cattle on the Harmony Range. Did you ever see any of those cattle on any other range? They were running about Harmony and Canab. Who had possession or control of them? I can't tell you. Do you know how they were branded after that? No, sir. How did you recognise them? I recognised them by the brand that was on them of S. Did you notice that they were branded with a B the first time you saw them? Yes, and they were a different kind of stock. They were Texas cattle, a good many of them, Texas cattle with long, broad horns. There were none of in the country that I ever saw until I saw those. Go on again and tell us just exactly what you saw John D. Lee do. Tell me all that you saw him do. I want you to make it just as full and bad as you can. I have told you what I saw. Tell it again. I told you that I saw him fire a gun and saw a person fall. Go on. And give it all just as you saw it, the whole thing. And then after that, I saw him and the Indians pulling people out of the wagons. What else? That is what I told you before. I cannot help that. I am now asking you to tell what you know. This is what I did see. Is that all you saw? Yes, sir. You know the parties had their throats cut, I suppose. No, sir. You went down and looked at the bodies afterwards? No, sir. I did not want to. Then it is only a supposition that the party's throats were cut. That is all. Did you ever go back to see if those persons were dead or not? No, sir. I did not. I saw them lying there after the wagons had driven away. Do you know whether they were dead or not? Or of your own knowledge? No, sir, I do not. I saw persons lying on the ground dead, back below where the troops were. How far from you? I went to them. Then you did go back. Were they men that Lee killed? Or were they men killed by Klingensmith's men when he and Higby were? They were down when Klingensmith and Higby were. Then you did go down to that place. Yes, sir. John D. Lee sent me down to the wagons that were down below to keep the Indians from taking the things out of the wagons. How did he get you there? He told me to go, and I went. Did you ride down to him after his killing was over? I went over to where Kling and Smith was, and Lee came down. He sent me down there to the wagons. How long did you stay there? I stayed there till John D. Lee and Isaac C. Haight came down. Are you certain that Lee came back? Yes, sir. Don't you know, as a matter of fact, that Lee went on to Hamblin's ranch? I stayed there at the wagons until after he came back from Hamblin's ranch. 
How long did you stay there? I can't tell you. Did you sleep there in the field that night with White, Kling and Smith and others? I think likely I did. I stayed there until John D. Lee and Isaac C. Haight came down. Don't you know you stayed there that night and until the wagons were moved away? I think I did. Don't you know that you did? Yes, sir, I do. Who took those wagons away? Who ordered the hitching up of the oxen and taking away of the wagons? I don't know. Was it Klingensmith? No, sir, he did not. Did John D. Lee? No, sir, I don't know. Didn't you help drive the stock? I went with them around to the Iron Springs. Who helped take the wagons down there? Can't you give me the names of a few of them? Witness refused to answer. How many whites did you see on the mountain meadows at the time of the massacre? I did not count them. About how many? There was a considerable number, as many as 40 or 50. How far were they from where you kept watch at the wagons? About half a mile. Half a mile from the emigrants' wagons? Yes, sir, about that far. Who kept watch with you that night at the emigrant camp to keep the Indians from stealing? I don't want to bring in new names. I see you do not. Except Lee's. How is that? I have mentioned a good many names. You have been sworn to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, and I want you to tell me the names of those men. Well, a man named Ewer was with me. What was his full name? John Ewer. How old was he? I can't tell. Was he a man grown? Yes, sir. Is he living or dead? He is alive. How long was it after you went there to keep the Indians from stealing that those other parties came to you? I don't recollect of any coming until John D. Lee and Isaac C. Haight came. Next day? Yes, sir. Did you succeed in keeping the Indians from stealing there? They had taken a good deal before I went there. After I went, they didn't. You had considerable control over the Indians when you got there. They knew you, and you could talk their language, and when you told them to do anything, they would do it. Some of them would, and some wouldn't. They all agreed to quit stealing, didn't they? No, sir. How did you keep them from stealing, then? I didn't. What did they steal after you got there? I can't tell you. Did they steal anything? You know, whether they did or not, the Indians were at the wagons when I arrived and had taken out a good deal of stuff. What did they do after you arrived? They took off what they wanted. Did they stop stealing when you told them to? Not altogether. What did they take away? Bedding and blankets. Isn't it a fact that they took just what they wanted and that you did not stop them from stealing? I did stop some of them. Well, didn't they carry off all they wanted? They didn't carry it all away, but they did a good part of it. How many did you keep from stealing? Five or six. 
how many Indians were there that you could not stop? How many were there around the wagons? There was quite a lot that went away with their goods. 50, 75 or 100? Not that many. How many did you see that day altogether? There was a good number, over a hundred. There was a great number of them took horses and started off. Where did they get the horses? From around that section of country? Emigrants' horses, I suppose? Yes, sir. About how many horses did the emigrants have there? I can't tell you. Didn't you see the herd? I saw the Indians with horses that they said they got there. But I did not see the herd of stock until it was started to the Iron Springs. I only came there the night before. Did you do anything toward burying the dead after the massacre? No, sir. Then you did not help do that? No, sir. Were you there at the time it was being done? I saw men there working at it from where I was at the camp. They commenced burying the dead right off. The same evening of the massacre? Well, sir, I can't tell you. You cannot tell whether it was the same night or the next morning? I cannot. What number of men went from there to the Iron Springs with you? There was some. Ten or twelve went along. I went on afterwards. I had my horse. I rode my horse. Give me the names of as many as you can that went with you from the meadows to the Iron Springs the day afterward. I can't. I don't know, as I can give the names. If you say you cannot give the names, I will not press it. Well, I say I cannot. You say you cannot recollect any of the names of those who helped drive the stock? No, sir, I can't. Who had charge of property as it was driven to the springs? That I cannot tell. What was Smith doing there? I don't know. I don't recollect seeing him along. When did you last see Higby there on the field? Did you see him after the massacre? Yes, sir. Did you see him the day after the massacre? I can't tell whether I did or not. Were you present at any council that was held there on the field previous to the massacre and hear any agreement as to the killing of the emigrants or anything of that sort? No, sir, I didn't. You did not hear that anybody was to be killed until you heard the shooting? Yes, sir. When? When I started after my horse, I heard that the people were to be killed. Who told you? John D. Lee told me. I thought you said he had left you. He talked of it before he went to the camp. Just before that then? Yes, sir. I wish to get at all this because I want you to tell everything that John D. Lee did. Tell me what he said to you about it. He was talking to the men about getting the men out of their fortification. Was this after the flag of truce had been sent? No, sir. Before that. Who was Lee talking to? Smith, Higby and others. Who were the others? I can't tell you. How many others? There was quite a lot of men. Thirty or forty? I should judge there were. Did you hear Higby say anything? Higby may have talked. Did any person make any objection to the killing of the emigrants? It is a thing, sir, that I don't like to answer. 
I wish you to answer my question. Did any man or men, person or persons there on the ground make an objection to the killing of all the emigrants? Yes, sir. A good many objected, but they didn't dare to say anything. How do you know they objected? They dare not speak about it to those men. They did speak up at the council and make objections. I was not at the council. Did any one of the 30 or 40 men raise a voice against the killing of the emigrants at the council, on the field or in the presence of Lee, Higby or Klingensmith or anyone else? No, sir, they did not. What did John D. Lee say about it in the presence of Haight and Higby? He said we must get them out of there. Who was he talking to then? Higby and the others. Were they talking the matter over? Yes, sir. Tell me what was said. I can't recollect. Do you recollect what Haight said? Haight was not there. Then how was it that Lee was talking to Haight and Higby if Haight was not there? It was Higby and Klingensmith he was talking to. What was it that Klingensmith said about killing the emigrants? I can't tell. Then you cannot recollect what anyone said or did except John D. Lee? No, because John D. Lee was the most conspicuous man in the whole thing. Klingensmith, the bishop of the church at Cedar City, Haight and Higby, as majors in the militia, all stood back and gave John D. Lee full control, did they? He had control of everything on the field. He acted like a man that had control. Did he not have control? I can't say. Did you not think at the time that John D. Lee had full control of everything and of every person there? He acted like it. What do you believe about it? No answer. Hate ordered you to go there? Yes. And when I got there, I went to Lee. That was the instruction. And you stayed by him and obeyed all of his orders? No, sir. He wanted me to talk to the Indians in a way I didn't want to. Tell me how he wanted you to talk to the Indians. He wanted me to tell them that they would get the emigrants out some way so they could get their guns and horses. You refused to tell the Indians that, did you? Well, I talked to some. Did you tell them that or not? I don't wish to answer that. Court, you need not tell anything to incriminate yourself. Bishop, can you tell me anything besides that you heard John D. Lee say? No, sir, I cannot. That is all I recollect. What time of the day was that when Lee said we must get them out some way? It was in the forepart of the day. Who was in hearing distance when Lee said that? I declined to answer. Howard, you don't decline because it would incriminate you, do you? No, sir. Then you cannot decline. Bishop, tell me who was present and heard that statement of Lee's. I cannot tell. There was a lot of them. After you arrived at Iron Springs, did you and those with you talk the matter over and agree to keep it a secret? The matter was talked over at the camp and again at the springs about keeping it a secret, but I can't tell what the agreement was that was to come to. Was the subject talked about over as to whether it should be talked over afterwards or not? I don't recollect. After that, did you talk it over with those who were engaged in the affair with you? 
in which conversation you learned it was best to keep silent concerning the whole thing. It was talked of that way, that it was best to keep still. What reasons were given why it was best to keep still? I can't tell you. Do you know what the reasons were, or do you decline to answer? Is it because you forgot, or why can't you tell me? It was because they didn't want it to be known. Those men who were in it, the leaders in it, didn't want it to get out. I asked whether you ever had any conversation with anyone in regard to it. I can't tell you whether I had or not. Of course such a thing is that men would talk about. That's what the matter is now. It has been talked about and can't lie still. Did you ever have a conversation with hate about this massacre since it occurred? Not that I know of. Did you ever have a conversation with Stuart? No, sir. Did you ever have one with Higby about keeping it still? Not that I know of. Did you ever talk with Alan, Kling and Smith or any other party that was there about keeping it still? I tell you, I don't recollect having a conversation about keeping it still. Such a thing was talked about, but I don't now, now recollect talking about it. Did you either hear of those men talking about it, about keeping it secret? No answer. Is it not a fact that after the property was all gathered up at the meadows that you were ready to start for Iron Springs that speeches were made to the men present by those in authority in which speeches you were ordered to keep it a secret forever? There were a great many speeches made. At the meadows, before you left there, was it not told you in a speech then made to you that it must be kept secret, that it would be best to keep silent? Were you not so advised by your leaders? Yes, sir. Who gave that advice? Who ordered you to keep silent? Smith and Haight gave me the advice. The cross-examination was continued at great length, but the witness could not or would not recollect anything except what he had been advised by his priestly rulers to swear to. Nephi Johnson is a fair sample of the willing tools who commit crimes for Christ's sake and swear falsely for their own sake. I have given sufficient of his evidence to prove to the reader that Nephi Johnson has not told the whole truth. He has only told what the church leaders thought sufficient to convict Lee and keep back everything that would lead to the conviction of the other murdering wretches who still adhere to the Mormon faith and skulk in their hiding places far from the haunts of law-abiding citizens.